We started at Oak, well, when the church was Oakleaf um, six and a half years ago, um, and we we felt like that this was going to be our church home. I mean, just immediately the first Sunday that we came, and it was very shortly after that that they started pushing groups. Um, I think the church was about a year and a half, two years old when they were talking about groups. I just felt led. I just felt like that we needed to get involved because the church was a larger church that we needed to get involved in a group to help get connected. Neil had a stroke, massive stroke in 2010. Uh, it was in December, on uh, December 3rd actually. and On her birthday. And um, he, uh, it started at 7.30 in the evening. By the time he got to the hospital via ambulance, it was well after 10 o'clock. Um, the first people that I called were our group members. I called them over our own immediate family. Um, and by 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, kids were piled up and people were ready to come help us. Within the first 24 hours, everybody within our group had been up to the hospital to see us. We had people taking care of our home and our animals. and. Um, went home five days later to a house full of groceries, a clean house, um, and a meal train that was provided for us. Um, we had to do nothing. They always came to us. They completely, 100% served us through every need. I was in the hospital for five days in intensive care for three of those five days, and it just a constant flow of our, our group members coming to see us and, and seeing what they could do, how they could help. Uh, it was it was amazing uh, how how they just were there for us. I mean, they were closer than, than, they were there for us more than our own family was. The Bible says that we're gonna have trials and tribulations. We're, we're gonna go through hard times. And I know that, that God is gonna take care of me. Um, but to have other people in your life, other than just your family members, that are, that you know they're, that are gonna be there for you. And they're walking um, the same path as you. You know, you're, we all have the same goal you know, the, the end result is to be with Jesus. You know, we all have that same goal. And how can you live out that goal if you're not surrounded by the people who you share that goal with? We're, they're there for us and we're gonna be there for them. I think if you are, you, you're sitting there in your seat and you're wondering, you know, should I get into a group or, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of scary taking that first step into groups. That first step is the hardest step. Walking into somebody else's house and thinking, I mean, you're, you're, all these thoughts are going through your mouth. What is this going to be like? It will be the best choice, the best decision that you can make moving on through the rest of your life. Well, I want to thank Neil and Michelle for sharing their story with us this morning. If you see Neil and Michelle around today, uh, make sure you thank them for that. It, it's a great story, and the reason I asked them to share their story today is, again, because we're talking about this value of community, and their story represents the type of community that I desperately want our church to be known for and to be known by. Like, I want our church to be known as a church made up of people who are truly committed to one another, who truly love one another, who are committed to walking through life with one another, loving each other deeply, beyond just some surface level, superficial type of love. Like I want this church to be characterized 
um, by people who love each other as Christ has loved us. Like I want us to walk alongside one another, pick one another up when we fall, um, walk alongside one another in tough times and hard seasons of life. And I'll tell you why I want this for our church, all right? The reason is really, really simple. And it's not just because I'm an extrovert and I love hanging with people, right? And I want to pick on all you introverts in the room and make you feel really uncomfortable. Like that's not, that's not the deal. It's, it's a much bigger reason than that. The reason I want this for our church is because I believe with all my heart because of what I see taught in this book that community is insanely biblical and that you and I can't follow Jesus without it that you and I can't be the church that God has designed us to be without it, and that it will be impossible for us to accomplish the mission that God has given us without sharing life together. And I did my best to capture my belief in this biblical idea of community as I wrote the description for this third core value. Here's how this reads on our website. We value community. Relationships matter. And it goes on to say this. We believe that God created us to share life with one another in community. Sharing life requires more than surface-level interaction. Instead, it requires time, commitment, and deep love for one another. We will be a church committed to deep relationships, knowing that they are vital for us and instrumental in making the good news of Jesus more real and believable to the world around us. So this morning, we're just going to spend our time together unpacking this core value and really digging into what the Bible has to say about relationships and why they matter. So if you have a Bible with you or you have your version app all ready to go, turn your Bibles on and let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 together. Genesis chapter 1. If, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you probably know that in Genesis 1, we find the story of creation. We read that in five days, that God created the heavens and the earth, land and water, plants and animals, light and dark. He created heavenly bodies such as the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then on the sixth day, God's creation reached its culmination when he designed and created and made man and woman. And we're going to pick up, we're just going to read one verse out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, but I want you to pay special attention to the language used in this verse. All right, read this with me. The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in, read that word out loud with me, our image, right? And then he goes on, after whose? Our likeness. Have you ever picked up on this before, reading the creation account? That God didn't say, I'm going to make man in my image. Instead, he, he uses language here that includes others. He uses language here that implies he's talking to more than just himself. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, language in the Bible is highly important. And this verse points us to the very first hint of the Trinity in all the Bible. It points us to the fact that our God, even before the foundation of the world was laid, was living in community. Now, if you're sitting here and you're new to church or the Bible, and you're thinking to yourself, James, what in the world is the Trinity, and, uh, and how does that make sense? How was God living in community if none of us were here? Well, here's the Trinity, short, brief, as clear as I can make it, all right? We believe as Christians that God is one person 
He's one God, but he's expressed in three persons. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that each of these persons exists eternally and simultaneously, and that they each share the same divine characteristics and attributes, in essence, again, making them one God. Now, if your head's hurting, right, or you're confused and you're going, James, you're saying one, you're saying three, bro, which one is it? Well, the answer is both. It's, it's both. We have one God who is three persons. And I know the doctrine of the Trinity, if, especially if you're new to it, it's kind of hard to get your brain around. And I don't have time to dive into it deeply today. So I'm going to encourage you, study this for yourself, all right? I'll give you some men to read after. Go read after. Write these names down if you're taking notes. Go read after a guy named Wayne Grudem, G-R-U-D-E-M. Um, go read after a guy named J.I. Packer. You can write that name down. And uh, a pastor who is, uh, is a pastor today in Seattle, read after him. His name is Mark Driscoll. These guys have great things to teach about the Trinity, and they actually write in a way that people like you and me can make sense of, all right? So go and study this and pray that God would help you to understand this amazing truth about who he is. But again, on a very basic level, we as Christians believe what Genesis 1:26 points to, that before time ever began, these three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who exist as one God, they were living together in perfect community. And when God created us, he created all of us, no matter who we are, in their image. Now, this means a couple things for us, okay? One, it means that every single one of us in the room was created by God as a relational being, right? God's relational um, God's a God of community, and since we're created in his image to be like him, we're relational, and we're created for community. We're designed for relationships. That's why every single one of us in the room today, we desperately want to feel a sense of belonging when it comes to others. We want to feel like we matter to other people. It's why all of us in the room, we want friendships, we want relationships, we want to know others and be known by others. None of us sitting in the room today was created by God to walk through life alone. Again, listen to me. Relationships matter. God made us for relationships. Now, the second thing this means is this. It means that you and I, since God made us in his image to be a picture of who he is to the world around us, it means that you and I can't accurately image God, mirror God, reflect God to others unless we are in community. Think about how this is true with me, right? How could we accurately display who God is to others, the God of community, if we avoid community? How could we represent our relational God well to the world around us if we avoid relationships? How could we paint a picture of God's love and grace to others if we avoid relationships in which we get to display love and grace to other people in our lives? Well, the answer is simple. We can. It's impossible. Church, again, relationships matter. And we all have to understand that our ability, when it's all said and done, to make God known to the world around us depends upon our willingness to share life with other people. Now, here's the thing. Even though all of this is true, I'm sure we all know people who know Jesus, and maybe this is even some of us in the room today, who still choose to walk through life alone. 
Right? Instead of believing and living as if relationships actually matter, I'm sure we all know people who still choose to live lives of relational isolation. And by relational isolation, here's what I mean. I mean people either choosing to avoid relationships with others altogether or only choosing to pursue surface-level relationships while never going deep. And I think relational isolation happens for a couple of reasons. All right, One, I think it has to do with wrong thinking. And I think the wrong thinking that, that creeps into many of our lives has to do probably with where we live. Our culture, and I think you can agree with me on this, our culture is a culture that tends to promote individualism, right? Like where we live, think about this, aren't we often told, hey, you live your life, everybody else lives their life. You do what you want, and everybody else should just do what they want, and if people don't like what you're doing, they can get over it, and if you don't like what somebody else is doing, then you need to shut up, right? It's, it's all about the individual. Our culture oftentimes promotes the good of individuals over communities, and oftentimes that way of thinking will creep into churches, and when it happens, we start believing as followers of Jesus that our job is just to worry about our own relationship with God. Like, as an individual, our spiritual lives are our spiritual lives, and everybody else's spiritual lives are their spiritual lives, and we should all just worry about ourselves. We start believing that the church is more about me than it is about we, and that wrong thinking causes us to miss out on a big, big truth, and the truth is this. God didn't design his church to be full of a bunch of individuals. Right? He designed his church to be made up of people sharing life and living in community with one another. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2, he, he points to the same truth as he's writing to the church and about the church. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, but you, and if you look that up in the Greek, that's a plural you. That's not an individual you. But you, all together, you're a chosen race, a loyal priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It's all plural language. He's wanting us to know, again, the church is not about individuals. It's about us together. And together, God made you his own so that, listen, we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. He's going, yeah, there was a time in your life where you just run around doing what you wanted, thinking about only you. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Together, you, you make up his people, his family, once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Relationships matter. God loves community. He loves relationship. And God promotes community over individualism all the time. This is a biblical idea. Relationships matter. Now, I think a second reason that people choose relational isolation is because of sin or some consequence of sin. And I'm going to explain what I mean so we don't miss this, okay? If you were here last week when we talked about grace, you heard me talk about how sin kills, how it destroys, and how ultimately our sin, our disobedience, our failure to live up to God's standards, it separates us from God. But here's what I need you to hear as well. Sin not only separates us from God, but our sin also has the power to separate us and to prevent us from enjoying meaningful relationships with other people. And I'm going to illustrate this for you this morning by giving you four practical reasons why people choose relational isolation 
over community. If you're taking notes, write these down. Okay, one, pride. There are people in our world, in our churches, that avoid relationships simply because of pride. Um, there are people that would go, you know, and I don't need anybody. I'm fine on my own. Like, people just need to leave me alone and stay out of my business, right? People walk through life believing that they don't need others when it comes to following Jesus, and they don't need others just in a general sense. They're convinced in their own mind that relationships require too much time, effort, and energy, and they don't want to put it in. Now, I'll just be really, really honest for you, okay? If there is one issue out of the list of four things I'm about to give you that I struggle with personally, it's this one. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm a pretty independent guy, and there are times where I would rather hide away from people than to engage with people because I can get to a place in life at times in which I start believing I'm fine on my own. I don't need anybody. And if you're like that, if you can identify with me, we just all have to come to grips with the fact that, no, 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 we need each other desperately. Pride separates people. Um, another reason is selfishness. And again, this may be some of us in the room. Don't get too offended yet. Just stay with me, okay? There are some people that will avoid relationships, choose isolation, simply because they're self-centered and they don't want to face the change that relationships demand. I mean, think about this with me. Don't relationships, if you want to enjoy healthy relationships, don't they require you to forget about you to a degree, right? I mean, think about it. It's true in marriage. It's true in parenting. It's true in friendships. If the only person you ever think about is you when it comes to your relationships with others, you are going to destroy the relationships that exist in your life. And some people, maybe again some of us, are so bent on doing what they want to do, they want to live how they want to live, that they'll avoid relationships because they don't want to change and they don't want anybody else telling them how they should live their lives. It's selfishness. It's, it's a sin issue. Um, another reason is shame. There are people um, in our world, maybe even in our church, that choose relational isolation because they're fearful of being found out. Um, maybe they've made mistakes, they've lived a tough life, they've made poor choices. Maybe they're making poor choices right now. And they feel so much shame over those things that they will avoid relationships because they believe if they go deep with people, man, that they will ultimately be exposed for who they view themselves to be. And the pain of having to confront that shame, it keeps them isolated. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you read the story of when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, what did Adam and Eve, for those of you that have read this, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned, after they disobeyed? They, they, they hid, right? I know there's a lot of things people are throwing out, but they hid, right? They tried to hide from each other. They tried to cover themselves up. They ran, they even tried to hide from God. And do you know why they did that? It was because of shame. They were ashamed of what they had done. Shame keeps us relationally isolated, not just from God, but from other people. And the last reason that I'll mention is this is fear. Some people choose relational isolation because they've been sinned against. There are people that will avoid relationships because they have been so wounded relationally that they don't want to let anybody in. They've been abused, they've been hurt, they've been abandoned, they've been given up on, and there are people that have walked through those experiences that believe if I open myself up to relationships, then it's only going to result in what I've previously experienced. So a fear of unhealthy relationships 
prevents them from engaging and pursuing community with others. Now, here's what we can't miss, okay? When we allow wrong thinking, or when we allow a sin issue in our lives, or even being sinned against, drive us toward relational isolation, there are two things that happen, all right? One is this. One, we miss out on experiencing the fulfillment and the joy that genuine Christ-centered relationships bring. Again, God designed you to be a relational person. He designed you for relationships, and he wants you to know the joy that relationships bring. When you run from them, you miss out on that. But secondly, listen, it becomes impossible for you to take part in God's mission in our world because if you avoid relationships, you cannot accurately bear his image to those around you. Why? We've said it. Because he's a God of community. So in essence, when we run from relationships, when we avoid community, we miss out on the very purposes that God created us for. Church, again, let me say it. Relationships matter. They matter. Now, I'm going to give us all really good news, okay? If you are that person in the room this morning and your bent is isolation, your bent is Man, I'll have some acquaintances and some friends, but I'm not going deep with anybody. I'm not opening myself up to that. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus has done all the work on your behalf to free you from whatever it is in your life that is right now preventing you from engaging in healthy, Christ-centered, God-honoring relationships. You don't have to let wrong thinking, you don't have to let a sin issue or being sinned against cause you to miss out on what God has for you in the way of relationships because, again, listen, Jesus Christ has defeated and overcome all of those issues that right now are keeping you separated from other people in your life. And I'm going to explain this so, so we all get it, all right? As we talked about last week, God in his grace, he sent his son Jesus to live on our behalf, to die on our behalf, to raise from the dead so that we could be restored back to God again. And the same power that Jesus holds to remove our sin and restore us back to God is the same power that Jesus wants to give it so that anything dividing us from others can be removed and we can be restored relationally back to those in our lives. Um, Paul, he, he goes on to write about this in Ephesians 2 after the verses that we read last week. And I want to read this and then we'll kind of break it down and make it practical, all right, so you don't miss it. Paul says that he, speaking of Jesus that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, listen, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together, not individually, together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's some things that Paul points us to in this passage, right? He's writing to a group of non-Jewish Christians about their dysfunctional, very rocky relationship with the Jewish believers. 
and he's writing because he wants them to get and he wants us to get that if we know Jesus, we're all part of the same family. We all make up the same body and the same church. And Jesus Christ died to restore us back to God, but also to remove any sin, any hostility that once had the power to separate us as believers in him. You see, Jesus Christ, you have to know this morning that through his death and resurrection, he has torn down the dividing walls that separate people relationally and drive them into isolation. You see, and what we have to choose to do is this. In view of what Christ has done at the cross for us, we have to let his work drive us toward relationships and not from it. So here's how this looks on a practical level. We remember Jesus died to set me free from anything that could prevent me from a relationship with God or a relationship with other people. And what we do in light of that is we push individualism aside, wrong thinking aside, and we embrace community. We truly trust and believe that God created us to bear his image in this world and that we can't do that accurately by living life alone. We trust and believe that Jesus died to set us free from sin like pride and we embrace humility and we believe that we need the other people in this room and we recognize that we can't know the life God has for us if we don't embrace one another. We believe that Jesus died to set us free from sins like selfishness. And some of us, man, we got to quit putting ourselves at the center of our lives and and thinking about us all the time. And instead, what we need to do is what Jesus said to do as his follower in Luke 9. We need to wake up every day and we need to deny ourselves, forget about ourselves, take up our cross in obedience every day and follow Jesus. And none of us can follow Jesus on our own. We have to follow Jesus in community. Some of us, listen, some of us need to hear this. Some of us in the room, we've got to know that Jesus Christ died and he laid his life down to free us from whatever shame we are holding on to over past sins and past mistakes. Like you got to know this morning that whatever it is that you are hiding and keeping from others, Jesus Christ died to set you free from that He died and rose from the dead to make you a new person, to give you a new story. And you cannot allow your shame to to cause you to run from community. Instead, you need to allow Jesus and what he's done in your life to point not to shame, but to his grace, his faithfulness, and how he's changed you. So you need to step into community and say, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you who I used to be and who I am now. Let me tell you what I'm struggling with, and I need you to pray for me. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to be shameful about it. Jesus died to set me free from this, and I need the people in this room to know about it. He died to free us from it. And lastly, listen, if you've been sinned against, if you've been hurt, abandoned, abused, given up on, like you have to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and remember every day that God loves you more than you can ever comprehend. And that we have a God who will never abuse us, never hurt us, never abandon us, never give up on us. And you've got to be willing to trust that God. And you've got to be willing at some point to put fear of relationship aside and to say, God, I'm going to trust you. And if you saved me and created me to be in relationship with others, I'm going to believe that that's what's best for me and what's most honoring to you. Jesus Christ died to tear down the dividing walls. He died to conquer sin that keeps us separate so that we could share life together again. 
And church, listen, here's where we'll close. Do you know what the ultimate beauty of sharing life with one another is? When you and I live in community as followers of Jesus together, what we do is this. We declare to the world around us that our God has the power to restore what sin has broken. We literally say to those around us, our God is bigger than culture. Our God is bigger than wrong thinking. Our God is bigger than pride and selfishness and shame and fear. Anything that could keep us separate, our God's bigger than that. And isn't that the church we want to be known as? As the church that in everything we say and do and practice and believe, that we're constantly pointing people back to him and going, this is who he is and this is what he wants to do in your life community says that. And so I'm encouraging today, I'm going to challenge you today. If you believe this book, and if you believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross, don't run from community. Run toward it. Don't run from relationships. Run toward them and believe that relationships matter and that you can't know the life God has for you unless you're sharing life with other followers of Jesus. Here at Cross Point City Church, the way that we get people sharing life and, and living in community with one another is through groups. Um, we got a thousand people who show up on the weekends. We can't really share life and do community in an environment like this. And so we know as our church gets bigger, we got to always be thinking about how we can make the church smaller. And we do that through groups. Well, this past week, I, I had my staff team. Um, send me some statistics on where we are with groups now. Several weeks ago, we did a morning where we got people connected in groups here through a Group Connect event, and we had like 240-something people sign up for groups for the first time, which was incredible. And so right now, today, we have almost 50% of our adults from this church in groups, sharing life, engaging in relationships, which is absolutely amazing to me, right? A year ago, it was like 20%. It was horrible. And so we've come a long way in a short amount of time. If you add in the numbers of students, middle and high, um, and also our K through 5, because they do small groups on Sunday mornings, if you add those numbers into the mix, we have over 60% of our church right now in groups, sharing life, living in community. And that is huge for me as the pastor. But listen to me, at the same time, it still lets me know that we have between 30 and 40% of this church who's not living in community, who's not enjoying relationships. And again, we're not to like guilt you into doing stuff, church. That's not who we are. We love grace. And here's the thing I just want to say to you. If you're not engaged in community yet here at Cross Point City, I just don't want you to miss out, man. I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. And I don't want you to miss out on being a part of this church accomplishing its mission. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you haven't taken the step yet to get involved in community, involved in a group, take that step before you leave today. You can go right up to the connection desk in our lobby, and those kind people out there will give you all the information you need to take that step. Or you can go home this afternoon, go on to crosspointcity.com, visit our groups page, and you can actually sign up for a group right on our website, all right? Listen, here's what I want to do for us. I want to pray for us before we get out of here. And I'm just going to ask you to pray right along with me that God would truly, truly continue to transform us into this church that we have talked about today. So will you join me in doing that? Father, I thank you, God, for the way that you've created us. God, it is an amazing thing, God, to realize that we are created 
to be like you in your image, in your likeness. God, that we exist on this earth to be a picture of who you are. And God, again, I just pray this morning that for those of us in the room that struggle with relational isolation and whatever it is that prevents us, God, from engaging in relationships with others, that you'd remind us that you sent Jesus to overcome all those things. God, that we don't have to be fearful of what it is you're calling us to do. God, because you'll be with us. And in following you in obedience, God, we get to be more like you. And so, God, I, I pray for those people in the room this morning, God, who do struggle with wrong thinking, struggle with a sin issue, struggle with shame. I pray, God, for those people who have been sinned against. God, would you free them up? Would you give them courage and boldness to take a step toward relationships this morning? Father, we trust you for that. God, I also pray for the people in the room who may not know you. God, I pray that you might give them courage, some of them, God, to step out, to join a group today, and to go and to get themselves in an environment with people, God, where they can wrestle with doubts and ask hard questions and, and come to grips with who you are. So, Father, I pray for those people this morning. God, I pray for our church as a whole. Continue, God, to transform us into this church that loves one another deeply, God, that reflects who you are to this community and world around us. God, and we pray, trust in that you will. We love you so much. God, and we thank you for this morning. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.